you are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, How to Turn Your Independent Film into a Money-Making Business by Alex Ferrari. For a free copy of the audiobook, head over to www.filmbizbook.com. Welcome to the Director Series Podcast, a show dedicated to deconstructing the work of some of cinema's most celebrated and influential film directors. I'm your host, Cameron Bile. While Scorsese had made a star of Robert De Niro through films like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, he had yet to direct a genuine star vehicle. For all his success, he hadn't enjoyed the experience of making a big, splashy studio picture for a bona fide screen legend. It wasn't for lack of wanting. Indeed, he idolized gleaming figures like Paul Newman since he was 14. He had simply been too preoccupied following his own creative ambitions. Then, during a press tour in London, he received a phone call from none other than Newman himself. The star of the 1961 classic The Hustler possessed the rights to the 1984 novel The Color of Money, written by author Walter Tevis as a sequel to the original novel from which The Hustler had been adapted. And he wished Scorsese to direct him in the reprisal of his seminal role of Fast Eddie Nelson. Tevis and Newman had both taken a respective pass at a screenplay, with the latter leaning heavily on flashbacks to the original film. Scorsese subsequently hired novelist Richard Price to write the draft that would ultimately go forward, and quickly. Newman's agent, Mike Ovitz, also represented Tom Cruise, who is fast approaching Newman's star status with high-profile performances in films like Risky Business, Legend, and Top Gun. Ovitz had a lot of weight to throw around, and he threw it with abandon, rapidly assembling an undeniable package of talent that secured $14 million in financing. Perceiving the project as an opportunity to prove he still had what it took to helm a studio picture at the highest level, Scorsese thrust himself headlong into prep. He and Price would meet for frequent story meetings at Newman's home. He was also working closely with producers Irving Axelrad and Barbara Defina, his fourth wife and Newman's lawyer. The pair were determined to bring the film in under budget, offering up their own fees as collateral. In effect, Scorsese was sticking out his neck to save his own skin, an approach that would empower his storytelling with a personal passion, subsequently transforming a work for hire into a work for survival. You want to give me money and get rid of me? You're young, kid. You got a long way to I go. You want to give me money and give me money, because this is nickel and dime shit you've been giving me. I'll give you money, but don't you tell me what I'm about. Shut up and give me money. Set 25 years after the events of The Hustler, The Color of Money finds a notorious pool shark fast Eddie Nelson living somewhere outside Chicago, scraping out a meager living, hawking knockoff liquor instead. But he's not removed from the sport entirely. He lurks the pool halls in search of promising young players that he can groom into profitable hustlers like he once was, while earning himself a cut of their winnings. He finds such a prospect in Cruz's hotshot, Vincent Loria, encouraging him to quit his dead-end sales job and hit the road with him. Thus begins something of a road picture, whereby Eddie, Vincent, and Vincent's girlfriend-slash-manager, Carmen, played by Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, set out for Atlantic City, stopping to separate the wallet contents from every hapless sucker along the way. Eddie and Vincent's partnership is not without conflict, however. One of Eddie's key strategies is losing on purpose a skill that chafes at Vincent's stubborn pride. There's also the notion that Vincent might actually be a better pool player than the aging Eddie, a possibility that will be put to the test when they go head-to-head against each other during a large pool tournament at film's climax. 
The former champion drawn out of retirement storyline is a well-worn one in sequels released many years after the original, and thus are forced to account for their stars' advancing age. Newman's autumnal countenance allows for the easy yet effective deployment of this trope, bringing several shades of complexity and dimension to the plot's otherwise simplistic framework. His nuanced performance, complemented by Scorsese's nimble direction, would result in his first Oscar win for Best Actor. Cruz is a natural fit as Vincent Loria, the untamed, passionate hotshot whose pride can't compensate for his naivete. He's the perfect foil to the wizened, humbled Eddie, offering a window into Cruz's raw talent before it'd be hemmed in and shaped by the demands of Hollywood superstardom. While the film is framed as a battle of wits and wills between these two men, the color of money sheds some light on interesting periphery characters, such as Mastrantonio's Carmen, Vincent's street-smart girlfriend who we come to suspect might just be an ace con herself, or Helen Shaver as Janelle, an aging cocktail waitress and Eddie's on-again, off-again love interest. Notable character actors like John Turturro and Forrest Whitaker make early career appearances in the film as small-time hustlers with varying degrees of loyalty to Eddie. Scorsese's tendency to appear in his own films also manifests here in the form of a voiceover during the opening credits, whereby he explains the game of Nine Ball, a variant on classic pool that the characters play almost exclusively throughout the film. On the other hand, the player can get the nine in on the break if the ball is spread right. Shot in 49 days throughout the bitter Chicago winter of 1985-86, to 86, The Color of Money finds Scorsese reuniting with cinematographer Michael Ballhouse to fashion an aesthetic reflective of their drab, blustery surroundings. The 35mm film image is a wash in a desaturated patina, evoking the cigarette haze of pool halls as much as it does the Midwest winter. Despite the grayish pallor of their color palette, Scorsese and Ballhouse imbue the frame with dynamic compositions and delirious camera work. There's an unrelenting sense of energy to the camera, constantly whip-panning to new tableaus, or screaming forward with a rack zoom onto pool balls scattered around the table. Indeed, Scorsese's expressionistic rendering of the game of pool, artfully strung together by longtime editor Thelma Schoonmaker, takes a similar approach to the dreamlike boxing sequences in his other big sports film, Raging Bull. Whereas Raging Bull emphasized the increasingly diminutive size of boxer Jake LaMotta in contrast to his opponents, the color of money takes the opposite approach, distorting the pool balls into titanic spheres tumbling around a tiny arena. Despite its origins as a work-for-hire created to service Newman's star power, the color of money allows Scorsese a surprising amount of opportunity to stamp his distinct imprint on the material. Newman's Eddie is of a piece with the protagonists of the director's original work, a fundamentally dishonest yet charismatic man who games the system in order to advance his own interests. This assertion of self manifests in the sort of masculine pride and posturing that invites conflict, even violence, once more rendered in the messy, chaotic fashion that Scorsese is known for. Like his other films, Scorsese also underlines the narrative with an eclectic rock score, working with his frequent music supervisor Robbie Robertson to source tracks from a wide range of musical genres, from rock to blues, jazz, and even opera subsequently building a musical soundscape that imbues the game of pool with a breathless, incendiary energy. The Color of Money is a film about comebacks, ending in Eddie's professional reawakening and a victorious proclamation that, whether he wins or loses, I'm back. The same sentiment applies to Scorsese, whose work here would allow him to finally shake off the funk that had been weighing him down for the better part of a decade. The film's modest success... $52 million against a $14 million budget, and the aforementioned Oscar win for Newman 
helped to reestablish Scorsese's viability as a commercial filmmaker, paving the way for a new act in his career that would finally see the realization of longtime passion projects and the exponential growth of his prestige and importance on the world stage. Thank you for listening to the Director Series. For a deeper dive into your favorite filmmakers, go to www.directorseries.net. The Director Series is made possible in large part by our generous supporters on Patreon. Please visit us at patreon.com backslash director series to see how your contribution enables the continued production of video essays and text articles on your favorite contemporary and classic film directors. Thank you.